Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Um, I invite you to take your Bibles this morning. join with me in turning to Psalm 112 and verse 1 and 2. The pastor's asked me to continue on the topic of the family and last Sunday he His sermon title was Testify to Your Children and uh, this morning my title is Proactivity and the Family. Proactivity and the Family. Uh, It seems quite theoretical what I'm going to say today but however you put it into action it will affect your family. We're going to look at intentionally developing a family mission statement, a family mission statement. So the first verse I want to read this morning uh, is Psalm 112, verses 1 and 2. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth, the generation of the upright shall be blessed. Amen. Lord, help us this morning as we open your word. We pray, Lord, that we would be inspired to move to greater heights both in our lives and in the lives of our family. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Proactivity. I ask a question this morning. Will your family, and the way it turns out, just end up to be an accident? (coughs) Unfortunately, many families don't have any plan. And so the result... I suppose we could say as an accident. An accident is defined as an unfortunate incident that happens unexpectedly, unintentionally, typically resulting in an undesirable outcome. I know that you here today, you don't want your families to just end up as an accident. I don't th- we love our kids too much, we love our family too much. But unfortunately, many people don't have a plan. And that's what we want to speak today about. It's most important that when you make this plan, that you have the end in mind. In other words, what do you want to achieve? Now, I'm going to talk about a plan... I suggest that sometime or other uh, 
probably before the children come, that you write things down. Put it in words. It doesn't have to be a, uh, an academic script or anything like that. It's just very, very simple. And as time goes on, you will develop this. And I'm going to talk a bit more about it. But as the children grow older and they become capable, then they can become part of the family plan. They can become part of, uh, of deciding where the family is heading. I know that here this morning there are many grandparents as well and you can also be engaged within boundaries because the parents are responsible for the children but you have a definite part to play in, uh, in influencing your grandchildren, particularly when they come over to your house or stay over at your house, particularly in, in the conduct you expect of them, uh, etc. And once again, I'll, I'll get to this later on. I want to add a rider here this morning, and this is important, because there's no such thing as a perfect family. There's no such thing as a perfect family. And you all know, as well as I do, within families, uh, sometimes there are things that happen, there's disagreements, and, uh, and therefore uh, we've just got to learn to, to work with those sort of things. The object of this lesson is not to make you guilty or condemned as a family or as a parent. All I want to do is introduce a starting point so you can begin with your plan. Everybody say plan. Okay. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 states, Train up a child in the way of the Lord. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. There's a lot of misunderstanding about this verse. We're going to first remember the verses in the Old Testament. Okay. And in the Old Testament, the teaching of the law was the most important thing. And the Bible uh, speaks about that in the Old Testament. Training up a child plays a big part in the way that they will, uh, they will end up, the way they will live their lives. However, the verse is not saying, as far as the New Testament is concerned, the verse is not saying that if you train them up in the way of the Lord, they will be saved. Okay? This is where there's the mis misunderstanding. In the Old Testament, train them up in the law. Well, in the New Testament, we're required of more than just obeying the law. Giving them godly training is a good start to them becoming good people. And all of us know in, of people that are good people. And they're not Christians, okay? They, they don't necessarily attend church every Sunday or serve God. Their life stands out uh, from others. And when you look at them and you look at their lives, you think, this person had a very good upbringing. They, they, there were principles in their lives. However, ultimately, as far as we're concerned, here this morning, we want our children to be saved. Amen? We want them to be saved. We want them to have an experience with Jesus and we want them to live according to God's word. In Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 19, 
there's an instruction there in the Old Testament which to some extent seems extreme, but let me read it. I'm going to read 19 and 20. And you shall teach them, that's the, that's the law, you shall teach them to your children. Speak of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou, thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon the gates. The Jewish people, uh, you may have visited the house of a Jew, and very often they will have on the doorway a box, or and at the gateway a box. And usually that box contains a statement of the law, the Ten Commandments at least. And very often if you're with them, you will see that uh, as they come out the door, they will either kiss the box or they'll kiss their hand and touch the box. And then they'll do the same at the gate. This is because Jewish people are taught, their families are taught to respect the law of God and to obey the law of God. What do we do? We, we don't have this tradition. But we can still talk about God's ways when we sit down at the table, when we go to bed at night and pray with our children. In all aspects of our life, let's make uh, it a point to be discussing continually the things of the Lord with our family. Amen? When you go home from church on Sunday, talk about what the kids did in Sunday school. What did you learn? If they sit in church here, talk about what the pastor preached. Say positive things. Don't, uh, don't, don't go home and, and tear the church to pieces and expect your kids to come, want to come to church in the future. Amen. But remember, all members of your family are individuals and have different personalities. I was a school teacher and I learned pretty quickly that all children have different personalities. They're different. It's our attitude which will determine how we handle our differences with other people. Now, I, I know that some people, you probably do, who think that their way is the only way and they, they don't respect that other people have, uh, have opinions and ideas. Try to understand the expressions and actions of your children. There is always a reason behind why they do what they do. And some children do things quite innocently and we can very often immediately interpret it as being very wrong. But in their mind, it's not wrong. They're doing the right thing. Maybe they're trying to help. And I have an example of this which I'll teach you in a minute. Teach your children to respect other people's opinions and responsibilities, particularly you as a parent. There's a difference between respect and agreement. You may res you, we have to respect the law. We have to respect a policeman. We may not agree with him, but if you don't respect him, you're going to be in, in, in bigger trouble. And... Uh, 
I learnt that uh, there were people in authority, when I, particularly when I was in the army, there's people in authority. I didn't think they were doing the right thing, but I learnt to respect who they were and why they were giving the instruction that they gave. Let me give you an example this morning. One of the most, most planned journeys that you will ever make is a journey on an aeroplane. There's need for planning because there's a lot that can go wrong. Amen? <laughs> Anybody here ever been on a plane that had some problems, mechanical problems, and uh, and had to turn back or something? There's been a lot in the news about this recently. I, actually, I don't know what it's all about, as in pe what, pe what they're saying, because if there's a mechanical problem on the plane, I want it to go back and, and, and be safe. And so... The first thing starts with you. If you don't plan to be at the airport on time, let me tell you what's going to happen. It's going to go without you. Yeah? So you've got a plan to be there on time. We once had a visiting speaker here in this church, a very, very important man, and uh, he, um, he slipped in. It was, <laughs> it was the last minute. We had to go and knock on the door and wake him up, and, and then... Uh, he, uh, we had to race to the airport. I must admit I broke the speed limit going, going to the airport. And while I was going to the airport, my wife rang the airport and said, we're a very important man that's on the way. Could you please hold the plane? And the person said, we don't even hold the plane up for the Prime Minister. Why should we hold the plane up for him? <laughs> we got there on time. You know, after you board the aeroplane and sit down, there's nothing much you can do. Maybe just sit and relax and, and entertain yourself. But there's a lot of other things that are happening behind the scene, isn't there? I ask you this morning, would you board a plane if you knew that the pilot wasn't trained or that you knew that he was careless? When I, when I sit on a plane, I always enjoy seeing a pilot come in with a little bit of grey on his temples. <laughs> if the plane is delayed, inconvenience. If there's mechanical problems, there'll be inconvenience. But I think we, we feel a lot safer that way, don't we? Even though the pilot may have journeyed on this route many, many times before, he still must be prepared because events can develop. I was flying from Cairns to Weeper once. The plane was delayed in Cairns for a long time and they said we've had to fly a, a part to the engine up from Cairns, uh, down from per Brisbane to Cairns. And so the plane was delayed, delayed about six hours but we eventually left and halfway to Weeper. I noticed that the plane was turning around. I'd been on this journey enough to know we're going back in the wrong direction. And then the pilot said, we're sorry, we're having to return to Cairns because we have the same problem <laughs> that we had earlier this morning. And I knew it was an engine problem. <laughs> so I was really, really praying. And I was 
so thankful that that man, that pilot, was experienced. Of course, the departure time can change. Everything doesn't become chaotic. There's always plans for every possible change that can happen, okay? It may be a delay from the gate. The pilot and the co-pilot know exactly what to do and they work together. The pilot doesn't have to be instructing the co-pilot what's going to happen now that we're late. They already know what they're going to do because there's no room for error. And of course, after the plane takes off, exactly the same. Every minor alteration has a plan behind it. What about your family? Have you planned for what may develop in your family? Let me say it's very, very hard to raise a family unless you've got routine. And uh, I'm not being critical, but I think a lot of families lack routine. It, it, for a while there, it was looked upon as being very negative. But you need to know what you're going to do and the kids need to know what you're going to do and, and what to expect. There's much about routine. When we raised our family, we, we had certain routines. It's time you get up in the morning, a definite time to go to bed on certain nights of the week. There was a routine behind what would happen when we sat at the table. Uh, breakfast in the morning was always very, very rushed, but the evening meal, we had a routine. We sat at the table and nobody left the table until Dad gave permission. And after a while, that routine became great because the kids knew they were going to sit there and so we talked. And that's when many of the life issues were discussed over the dinner table. And many, many times uh, my wife would be up washing the dishes and the children would be wanting to know certain things they were taught at school, certain things that had been said to them, certain things that they were confused about. So that was one, one, of, our, one of our routines, that nobody left the table until Dad said so. So what does it mean to be proactive? When you're proactive, you make things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. You have a plan to make certain things happen in your family. Now forgive me for reading this but I read in a book by Stephen Covey uh, an example about proactivity. It's quite long but I think uh, it's worth it. One young father shared his, this experience, how his wife was able to pro be proactive in a challenging situation with their son. He said, I came home from work the other day and my three-year-old said to me, his name is Brenton, he said to me at the door, he was beaming, Dad, I'm a hard-working man. The mother said, I or the father said, I found out later that while my wife was downstairs, Brenton had emptied two two-litre jugs of water from the fridge and most of it was on the floor. My, my, my wife's initial reaction, he said, was to shout 
and to spank him. But instead, she stopped herself and said, Brenton, what were you trying to do? He said, I was trying to be a helping man, mum. She said, what do you mean? I was trying to wash your dishes. Sure enough, the dishes were on the kitchen table, dripping with water all over the floor. So the mother said, well, honey, why didn't you ask me before you did it? Why didn't you ask me to help you? Well, I wanted to do it, mummy, on my own, and I couldn't reach the sink. So I got the jugs out of the refrigerator and washed the dishes on the table. Have you been in this position before with your children? <laughs> Maybe not that exact the same thing. Well, there's a way we can do this without creating such a mess in the future. She said, maybe you could call mummy and, and we'll get a chair and you can stand up to the sink and you can wash them. He'd previously suggested that maybe if it was too much of, to do it in the kitchen, he could do it in the bathroom. And his mum said, no, you can't do it in the bathroom. You may break the dishes. And so she had this good idea and she was... She was ready to meet the situation. But how often do we explode and, and don't really understand what the children, what the, the, the intent of the child was? So they mopped it up. It still took, took as long. If she had got cranky, it would have taken just as long to clean up. But something was taught here to the boy, and that is he's loved and appreciated, even if what he did created a mess. All right? So when Daddy came home, he was able to say, Daddy? I've been a helping man. He didn't meet Dad and say, Dad, I've been a naughty boy. So you understand what I'm talking about, don't you? Now, I couldn't help but think of something that happened in my life. When I look at, think back on it, it was horrific. My grandmother loved to play the piano. We were visiting Sydney, so the sitting room where the piano was uh, was turned into a bedroom for my brother and I. The piano stool was moved out of the room and placed underneath the house in a space where uh, things were stored, plus the wood for the fire. My grandfather would go down there every day and, and chop the wood up and there was, there was all wood stacked down there and down there was the was the piano stool. My grandfather had been down there earlier that night cutting the kindling wood, which is for young people who don't know, that's fine wood that you can start a fire with. 
So my brother and I got an idea that we would help out. The only thing down there that hadn't been chopped up was the piano stool. <coughs> we didn't get right through it, but we did a lot of damage to it because I distinctly remember one of the legs had been split in half and when my grandmother came down, oh man, oh man, we were sent into isolation for the execution And I still remember the discussion between my grandmother and my grandfather. My grandfather was saying, but Annie, that was his, her name, Annie, they were only trying to help. They were only kids. They were only trying to help. I live to this day. <laughs> Maybe the axe shouldn't have been left laying around. But honestly, that was my... My brother and I, our intention was to help them out and chop up some kindling wood. So each of you have probably got similar stories. A proactive plan for your family is to begin with the end in mind, to create a clear, compelling vision of what you and your family are all about. This vision will define your destination and having your destination clearly in mind will affect many decisions that you will make along the way. Proactivity is a moving, a moving power behind successful individuals and organisations in every walk of life. When you go to work, there's somebody being proactive. If you've got, you just don't go to work, work to sit around, do you? There's a definite plan for the work that you have to do and why it has to be done. If you belong to a, a club, a football, ma a football uh, team or something like that, there's a definite plan. Everybody just doesn't turn up and, and do whatever they, they want to do. When things go wrong in the family, vision is greater than the negative baggage of the past and even the accumulated baggage of the present. Just get over it and get on with the plan. Proactivity for the Christian parent is desiring to create a positive and spiritual culture within the family. It just won't happen automatically. Everybody say that. It just won't happen automatically. It just won't happen automatically. You, you have to have a determination to steer the course of your family in the way that you have chosen. Now, I know right now some people are saying, but my husband, my wife is not a Christian. Well, there are certain things that husbands and wives can decide upon, even if they don't attend church together. There's basic things they can decide upon. And the Christian parent can then have their own set of plans of how they will personally influence the family and the children. So what about this family mission statement? I'm going to read a bit here. 
The family mission statement is a combined, unified expression from all family members. As I said, when the children get old enough, they can help to define it. About what you really want to be, including the principles that you have chosen to govern your life. The principles. Every family should be raised on principles. And where do the principles come from? The Word of God. I mentioned before about sitting around the table talking with the family and man, was there curly questions. I never believed my kids could ever ask such deep and demanding questions. There were occasions when I said, you know, I haven't got the answer to that right now, but maybe tomorrow night I can come back and I'll, I'll give you the answer to it. But, but we talked about all sorts of things. We talked about the way certain people behaved and why they shouldn't behave that way. We talked about the way that society was heading, but our family didn't want to go that way. They had questions about euthanasia. They had questions about suicide. And, and, so, and there were questions about sex as well. I believe we created an atmosphere where they felt they could ask questions because that was the main place that things were asked. <coughs> Before you build a building, there's a blueprint. You write a script before you actually act out the play and you create a, a flight plan before you take off the aeroplane. And what's the carpenter's rule? Measure twice and cut once. Measure twice and cut once. There will be definite consequences that come from you having a plan. Now, this is not going to be a click your fingers and it's all going to happen overnight, all right? Everybody understand? You have to be determined, you've got to be persistent, you've got to bear it in mind all the time. This is what we want to do. And eventually, it will become something that will, that will just roll along. You, you'll instinctively do all things with the end in mind. When you've got problems, the end will be in mind. When the kids are go, go to high school, the end will be in mind. When the kids are going to get married, the end will be in mind. All those things, all along the way, because you have thought about it. Now, what should people do? Well, I'm, I was always a strong believer that when you keep in company, it should not just all be about romance. When you keep in company with the person that you intend to marry, there's got to be some things, serious things, spoken about. <coughs> <coughs> so... Possibly you could be talking about a family plan when you've got a good friend, maybe the person you want to marry. Start talking about it then because if they're not on the same page, then I think possibly the friendship should cease. Start writing things down 
before you get married, put them in writing, agree them together because then they're, as you could say, they're in cement, they're, they're going to form the basis of your, your marriage. Allow it to influence your marriage before you have children. Then when you have children, develop it, this plan to meet the age of your children, okay? Little kids can't do what older kids do. And you won't face the same problems with little children as you will face with older children. Visit your plan regularly, at least annually. If you have a time of all sitting down, having devotion, you can visit the plan very, very often. And of course, that's a very good idea to sit down and have a devotion. <coughs> and may I say, when you sit down and have a family devotion, it doesn't have to turn into a sermon. It's not a Sunday service, okay? Because uh, begin to appreciate that kids have a very limited attention span. Uh, you've probably heard me say before that when we sat down to our table, we always used to say grace. That was, that was one of our plans, definitely. We always said grace. But we made it into something more meaningful. We had a promise box in the middle of the table and on the prom in the promise box were maybe 100 or 200 cards little cards and on every card there was a scripture and if that and then we got our children to write on the back of all these cards things we could pray about and so uh, <coughs> before we uh, before we would say grace everybody would take a card out and uh, and they would read the verse and then the person who said grace would then pray for the need Jonathan, your pastor, there was a missionary that he really, really loved. It was a missionary to the Aboriginal people in Central Australia. His name was John Henwood. Jonathan had been out to the mission station in Central Australia and he loved Brother Henwood. He was a rough man because that... Uh, and Jonathan somehow had marked the card and you could be absolutely sure that five times out of ten that card would come out of the promise box... <laughs> because he, he loved to pray for that missionary. Think of ways you can make it exciting, your mission plan. Our, our kids used to love this promise box and they used to love to pray before the meal and, and that set a real tone for the rest of the meal. You've got to take time out to plan. Everybody say Plan. As I've said, when your children are able, get them involved in developing your mission plan for your, for your family. When they get old enough, you, you already have a plan and you can tell them what your plan is for the family. That's your responsibility as a parent. But as they get older, get them to write out certain things to add to the mission plan on what they think the family is all about and where they think the family is going. Ask them to read it out. You'll be surprised. You'll actually be quite surprised with how different the family members think. And of course, that's got to be appreciated. But what is the purpose of our family? What is this family all about? What is its essential reason for its being? Why are we a family? 
Yeah? Why are we a family? Why do we love each other and how are we going to cooperate together? Of course, there will be high priority things. You'll find that little children, their mission plan would be different to yours. I know in our family, we used to have one night of the week where we used to uh, get a video. We didn't have a television. We'd get a video and I had a computer and we'd stick it, stick, put it in the, into the computer and, and watch this movie on the computer screen. Dad, can we have another night? Which used to be Friday night. Can we have another night that we can have uh, to watch movies? That they'll come up. Things like that, you know. Let's go for more picnics or something like that. They, they will have all those sort of ideas. Don't expect too much of them. But the point is, and it's vital, that your family has agreed on a destination. Agree on a destination. Now, in this church, there are young people that are here as a result of their parents because the parents agreed on a destination. To bring them to that destination, they determined we will go to Sunday school every Sunday. We will go to church. We will have devotion, whatever those decisions were. It's critical to have everybody heading in the same direction. And without a vision, the people perish, the Bible says. <coughs> we cannot just let life happen to be swept along with the flow of society's values. Are you going to let your family be swept along with society's values? I don't think so today. I think you would agree with me, there's a lot of stuff out there that's becoming generally accepted that you as a Christian parent do not accept, correct? Yeah. <coughs> Talk to them about what life's all about. Why are we here on earth? Why did God create us? What did he create us for? All those sort of things can be talked about. <coughs> it's not living out the script of what other people think life is all about because we know that the Christian life is totally different to the attitude of what the world thinks. And besides, that's not life, it's just pure existence. It's deciding what kind of family you really want to be and identifying the principles that you need to get there. And those principles, they come out of the Word of God. I'll give you a hint. I learnt this early as a, a young man when we first had our children. Kids, as I said, kids will throw you a curly one, a question. On the spur of the moment, you won't be able to answer it. But let me tell you, in the Bible, in the Bible is a one-line answer for everything. If you look, you will find the principle behind 
everything. There's a principle in the Bible that covers every event in life. One simple one, there when I taught at Sunday school here, it, we used to have uh, su adult Sunday school and then I taught the senior kids. And they were being confronted with the issue of euthanasia at school. <coughs> and so they were asking questions. Maybe there's some here who were in the class. <coughs> Why would we want to let people suffer? Why can't we just allow them to be killed? Well, that's a really curly one, isn't it? It's a difficult one because nobody wants to see other people suffer. I said, let's go to the Bible for a principle. And it's very simple. Thou shalt not kill. And that, that settled it with them. I said, this is the Bible. This is God speaking. It's settled. Thou shalt not kill. God gave us life and it's his place to take it away. <coughs> so with your children, create a common sense of destination and either directly or indirectly, consciously or unconsciously, almost everything else in your family will grow into your family plan. Would you like that? I know you would. It c you can do it, okay? Even if you don't have a, <coughs> a legal document, something just very simple, mum and dad have sat down and spoken about it, the kids have spoken about it, you will have a definite destination. And when there's problems in the family with maybe rebellion or kids doing something wrong, you can come back to that plan and say, this is the plan that we agreed to. Was it the right decision? Of course, you'll get, well, maybe not now <laughs> because kids have a mind of their own, particularly when they get teenagers. But you've got something you can work on, something you can go back to and 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 point out, well, you once thought this was the right way to go, so why aren't we doing this now? Visit your plan regularly. At some time along the way, most members, if not all, will mess up. I'd love to know the family that doesn't have problems from time to time. If you have a plan agreed to by all, then you'll have a single factor, one single factor to move that will encourage you and encourage them. When there's problems, he'll give you strength to apologise, give you the opportunity and the strength to forgive, to be kind and to keep coming back to the plan time and time <coughs> again. This morning I've spoken to you about a plan and I believe it's important because if you don't plan, there's going to be a lot of unplanned things happen. There's enough things going to crop up anyway. But if you've got a plan, a direction, 
your children will have something. When, when they go to school, I tell you right now, when, when kids go to school, they know there's a plan. When I taught in secondary school, somebody, somebody said the other day about something and I said my name was written in many desks, in the top of many desks in the school. A lot of other teachers too because they carved all what they didn't like about the teachers in the top of the desks. But I said to them, I said, look, I'm not here to win a popularity contest. I'm here to teach you. At the end of the year, my plan is that every one of you will pass. And so we had a plan. And the plan was when they came in, they would sit at their desks and they'd take out their books and I would stand there and wait until there was absolute silence. And they knew that if they kept me any more than a minute, then they would be making up that time at the end of the lesson. That was the plan. That was the agreed. They knew about it. And they would be there and somebody would be like, shush, be quiet. They would, you know, because they knew that because somebody else was not respecting the plan that everybody else there would be consequences and so children need a plan you need a plan at work you have plans at work you have plans at school there's definite bell times there's there's certain places you've got to be at certain time just imagine a school if there was no plan just imagine a family if there was no plan. So let me just get back to about the grandparents. Well, grandparents can meddle. You're not the parents, okay? Now, I'm a grandparent, I know this. <laughs> but I respect the way that my children want to raise their family. But when they come to our home, there is some expectations expectations at the table probably exactly the same as what they have in their own family there's expectations about what they will do and what they won't do get your feet off the seat you know what we said no feet on the seat <laughs> so there's directions about what they can watch when they turn the television on. They love to turn on YouTube and, and watch certain programs about making things and that's fine because it's good. But if, if anything else crops up, what are you kids watching? And of course it always happens in the living room and my wife's usually in the kitchen at the same time. Okay, so grandparents... You can, you can have a plan. Let your grandchildren know what you expect of them when they come to your house. <coughs> okay, so what about, this, what about this plan? And I'm finishing right now, okay? What are some of the things you can write in your family plan? And I'm only just going to give you pointers, a number of them here, and then you need to write up your own plan. Do you want your all your family members to make wise decisions? Do you want your kids to make wise decisions? Then how will they know how to make wise decisions? doesn't happen automatically. 
Do you want all your family members to become good members of society? Well, the question is, are all the ways of society right? If they're not, then your kids need to know those ways that are not right. Do you want them to attend church as a priority? How will you nurture this? And how will you encourage respect for the church? Do you want all the members in your family to be saved? Then what things will you do to encourage this by way of devotion and their own personal devotion, reading their Bible and praying? Do you want them to seek ways in which they can serve God? Will you be encouraging them to become involved in the things of the church? Even if it's keeping the outside of the church clean. Doesn't matter what it is. There's a part for everybody to play in church. And if you can get them involved, they will love being around the church. How will you teach them to resist the ways of the world? They need strategies. How will your family respond to the ways of the world? Will they just go along with it? How can they stand their ground? How would you help them to choose a good life's partner? That's important. That's very, very important. You need to teach your kids what they should be looking out for. Will you have family agreements? This is a basic set of rules that just goes with each particular family. iPhone screen times, television times, saving and the use of money, time to be home at night, places to go and places we do not go, things to do and things our family does. They're just, just a couple of pointers. It may seem a little bit overwhelming uh, right now, but let me tell you, even this, the most basic family plan will have a tremendous impact upon your family. You don't have to be a professor to do this. Just be you. Be you who loves your kids, who loves the church, and who loves God. Just be you. And put it down and plan. It will not go to waste. The Bible says they will at least grow up to be good citizens, good, good people in society. But you'll have more input than just that. You'll find that through your family plan and the things that you do at home, that your kids will then carry them over into their families. Yeah? Pastor Jonathan, I know that when he takes his boys to school in the morning, every morning, 
they pray in the motor car. Three boys together pray. Every morning, that's their family tradition. Even if they're late, they, play while, they pray while they're driving. It's got to happen. That's their rule. Because there's a family plan. My daughter, they have devotion time. It's a family plan. And you can have a family plan. I can only talk about what I know. You can have a family plan and it will be a tremendous impact. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray as if I was you, okay? So you can pray along with me. Lord Jesus, help us, we pray. We just don't want to let things happen. We want to plan, Lord. You had a plan for your disciples. And you have a plan for each one of us. And we pray, Lord, that as we sit down and develop a family plan, that we will have you in mind, that we will have the Word of God in our mind, and that, Lord, through this family plan, we will be able to express our deep love for our family, for our wife, for our children. We pray again, Lord, please help us. Help us to find the time to sit down and to do this for your glory. As Pastor said last week, when we testify to our children, we are also testifying to the next generation. And so, Lord, with this family plan, we know, we know, Lord, it will also affect the generations to come. Thank you, Lord, for the time spent together this morning. Bless each one now as they go to their homes. Keep their families and bless them. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you and thank you for being in church. Sitting through a lecture. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs>